0: So this is, uh, this is our last summer Sunday uh, in this room um, as we kind of wind down the summer together. And as you know, we've been around round tables just kind of processing and working through this Old Testament uh, book of Jonah. And we're going to kind of have some concluding thoughts, kind of put bookends on this, uh, this book and what we've been wrestling through. And I know with summer people are coming and going, so you may want to listen back. Uh, Hopefully the podcast will get all updated. Last week we lent into a teaching from a guy named uh, Tim Mackey who has really helped in the, the kind of the formation of the way we're thinking about this and we'll get to that in a minute. But just want you to know we're kind of transitioning as a church. This is a big week for us as a church community. Um, as I, uh, starting September 1st, kind of pull back from my full-time role here to quarter time, as you know, uh, we have uh, Sonny Cracknell kind of helping with our gatherings and the administration piece, and it's been wonderful. So if you'd like to get involved in any way, you can either talk to her or just go to mypractice.church get involved and there's a little form there that you can sign out, and uh, that'll get into Sonny's hands. Um, We are excited about the the future. Last week, I think Heidi let you guys know that we have hired Lexi Graham as well to kind of help uh, coordinate and lead our music here, and really excited about the coming days as we kind of look into this, peer into the future of uh, Praxis Church, Um, moving it from one person that kind of gets paid full-time to a team of people that are going to care for us, which I actually think couple things. is probably more beautiful than what we've maybe experienced in the past, and two, is probably the be- one of the better postures for us as we look at the future. Not that uh, a full-time pastor guy or gal is, is wrong or bad. There's wonder. That's great. It's great. But I'm, I am personally excited about the camaraderie that this isn't like Drew and Heather's thing. Um, we're moving kind of away from that. This is us. Uh, Praxis Church will rise and move forward, not on one person up on a stage, but all of us collectively working together. Are you with me? That's a good word right there. We should pray and go home on that one. That is the New Testament vision of the church, and there is elders, and there are deacons, obviously, in the church, and there's leaders. We see it play out, but what I notice when I rub shoulders with people outside our church community in this city that are Christians this is not as much a thing, right? We think, oh, I go to church for somebody to do something for me, and we're trying to flip it on its head, more New Testament style, to say, oh, baby, when you come and when you gather, and this is why we did the, the round table stuff, is like when we gather together, you and your voice and what you bring is just as important as anybody else. Are you with me, you out there? This is the church. Now, with that said, excited to kind of turn into the, this and excited in the coming days. There's a couple postures we come from this, uh, a couple ways to come from this. And one is obviously we need people to help with the week-to-week kind of ongoings of the church. But I hope that as we kind of kick back in the fall here on September 11th, that all of us would just come with our lives open. And, you know, we have hosts that are on and we need that. But I just hope that you could come every single week with the mentality and mindset that you are a host. You are opening your life up to the people around you. Sound good? So I'm excited about the the turn here. And uh, thank you for your faithfulness through all this. And um, we are excited about the fall season. Uh, We have a teaching series uh, that we're going to look. It's called uh, The Good News Revolution. We're just going to look in the month of September at what the good news is and the importance of being good news people as the church, which is going to be fantastic. With that said... I want to just give a couple thoughts, ideas, uh, as we wind down the book of Jonah. I know summer is hard because we're not here every single week, and I get it with vacation and coming and going, but I do want to take a couple minutes and just, first of all, if you want to open your Bibles, open on your phone to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to move from Jonah now towards what this means for us in our moment. Because one of the things that we've done, I think I've said to you guys, is we went through the book of Jonah about 10 years ago, and this was the posture of it. Jonah's a prophet of God, he was sent to go to these people, he didn't go, he was given a second chance, the whole city turned to God, and everything ended up amazing, and everybody clapped their hands, and it's good. You know, kind of the morality of like, we're called to be people that go to the city, and the city's going to turn to God. And as I've engaged this more, this letter, I think it's been more appropriate than ever because that's actually not the point of the letter. Point of the letter, the point of the book, sorry, is that Jonah is sitting, so the whole freaking city of Nineveh turns to God on Jonah's second chance. And we get a picture, and Tim Mackey did a great job last week. Jonah is sitting outside the city under a plant that would have kind of grown up over him in the ancient Near East. And he's out the city of Nineveh, and you think he, he would be excited, right? This is your moment. Think your whole life as a prophet of Israel, prophet of God, is to bring this news that would bear to these people and hope that they would turn in repentance. And they do! And yet Jonah is sitting on the outside, a plant over him, and he is P.O.ed. He's mad with God. He's, this is his moment and he's sitting outside the city and you get a picture that the whole city has turned, sackcloth and, sackcloth and ashes and just this, these signs of repentance. Even the animals, the kind of the, as you know, the book uh, kind of ends abruptly with just like, even the animals turn to God, right? This is the image. And yet the prophet hates it. And the point is, is that, you know, we can do all the right things and do it the wrong way and be like Jonah. That Jonah's actually sitting outside the city and he hates his enemies. He, after all, this whole thing evol- evolves, the whole city turns to him, he hates the people he was sent to. And so what we've tried to do is not read this, le- uh, this book, not, it's not a letter, this book through the lens of my individual, like what kind of calling does God have on our lives? Jonah would be in the Old Testament canon For Israel as a people to show them as a mirror to them their lack of faithfulness not only to God but the fact that they could actually maybe even do the right things and live partly into their calling but with the wrong motive. Guys, God as a community wants our hearts. He wants our hearts to be right in the way it's postured towards the other and the people on the outside. And so it's really hard because what we've done and with Jonah, I see it all the time, not just in children's material, but I see this in like pop kind of culture Christianity is like we want this letter to be for, or this book to be for me individually, and it's a corporate mirror that's put up in front of us. You can't get this from like sitting at home this morning, you know, no, no matter how bold the scripture verse is, you know, Jeremiah twenty-nine eleven 11 on the coffee cup. This is not about us as individuals. This is about us as the people of God. And what a better book... And a better short story for us than now, with all the shifts in the church, all the things that are going on, um, to go, okay, are we going to be faithful and leaning into this? So you got Jonah sitting outside the city. He hates his enemies even after they turn to God. And this is a pattern, so much so that if you read in Matthew 5, this is Jesus, kind of his manifesto, his teaching on the mountain. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gets into this. What he does is he actually gets up and he gives almost like antithesis, antithesis is the word, to some of the Old Testament laws. Jesus, the teacher and Messiah, has got on the scene and he is now reorienting people as they listen, his disciples, reorienting them towards a way of life and there's even things in the Old Testament law that will be now kind of fulfilled through him. So there's this thing called um, as, as some of you know, the lex talionis in the Old Testament, which was literally the law of retaliation, it included both capital punishment, so life for life, and corporal punishment, tooth for tooth. This was in the Old Testament law. And so if you know Israel, this is the way they functioned around this type, these type of laws. And Jesus comes along and says, listen, you've heard that it's said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. And in this non-violent type of way, Jesus goes on and gives really like concrete examples. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek also. If anybody wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, and this would happen in ancient Roman culture, you would go the extra mile with them. And so Jesus is giving kind of this non-resistant vision of love that his followers would actually act counter to Jonah. Right, So Jonah's in the Bible to remind us how bad of a dude he is. Kind of toss the the children's stories aside as being this great guy that eventually went to Nineveh. The end of the story wants to show us that there has to be a better way. There's a better way. Do not resist an evil person, Jesus says. It's interesting, N.T. Wright says, don't use violent to resist evil. Be ready for an act of grace is kind of... The picture we get. So then you flip down. If you're in Matthew 5, this is what Jesus' expectation now of his followers would be. Read with me. It says this in verse 43. You have heard that it was said. So again, Jesus pointing back. He says, you've heard that it was said, brothers and sisters, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now let's stop, let's stop right there. This is fascinating. This is like fascinating stuff, because we know that Jesus here is quoting Leviticus 19, 18, to love your neighbor as yourself. This was all through the Old Testament law. Somebody tell me, can somebody give me scripture and verse for where it says hate your enemy in the Old Testament law? You heard it, Jesus said, you heard that it's been said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy, right? Why don't we do this? Actually, why don't you start in Genesis right now? I'll give you a few minutes. Read through the entire Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and let's pull out where it says we should hate our enemies. It doesn't, right? And this is the human propensity, and this, I wouldn't just say, is the human propensity. This, in our history, coming out of the line of Israel, there is a propensity here to heap on extra stuff. So much so, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, love your enemy, Le- Leviticus 19.18. It's there. You can flip there. But it's fascinating that that's not in the Old Testament law. What is Jesus referring to? He's referring to the Pharisees, many of them who are contemporaries of Jesus, who are implying that they're the covenant people and anybody outside the covenant um, is out on the outside. There was a sense that built up, not through the tradition of what God handed down in the law, but because of how humans act and how our hearts get bent and twisted to the point where there were a lot of Pharisees in Jesus' day that would have this saying. They would say, I'd rather be a dog than a Gentile. Many pious Pharisees, like this was their marker. Their marker was, I am not one of those people on the outside. I'm a Jew. I'm, I'm, I'm part of this kind of covenant. And so they understood, many of them, that anybody outside of that was actually an enemy. It's funny, too, like even the, the perception in their minds and their hearts around neighbor very much understood, like they understood their neighbors to be those in the commonwealth, those within the covenant. So when they talked about neighbor, a lot of people in this in this first century context would think of their Jewish brothers and sisters, right, in this context. Then Jesus comes along and uses a completely different word uh, in the great commandment for neighbor, which gives a picture that this community of people, these disciples, are not just to love people that they know within kind of their line, but it is this call to then love every single person they come in contact with. Jesus is disrupting some of the mindsets, and it's just fascinating to me that the whole hate your enemy thing is nowhere in the scripture. It's just fascinating how things can kind of become truth for people, over time. Are you with me? We do this. Are you with me? Are you out there? You follow me? We do this. And so this is a hard hard teaching and a hard book to read because it's not about some guy giving a second chance to go and preach to these people and they all get saved and the clap track kind of ends at the end. This is irony. There's comedy here. That, remember, the irony is, is the people who should have known better, does does this sound like our moment in the church? The people who should have known better did absolutely exactly what they were supposed to do, and the people, think about it, the sailors who were known as like really pagan dudes, the city of Nineveh, we've unpacked the city and how kind of bad that city was, and even the animals turned to God, and this is the picture we get, and yet the prophet is the one who misses the point. One of the questions we want to ask in our moment is should we be careful about missing the point? And even deeper, we are Jonah. Not just you, I am Jonah. Because I can easily sit out under my plant, have my pity party, and often hate the people that God loves. Interesting, what does Jesus say, what are we to do for our enemies? Anybody remember in this text? What does Jesus say? What are we supposed to do? Supposed to pray for them? It's fascinating what prayer does because it's kind of like this leveling ground. As soon as we begin to pray for somebody, there's a dispersion, there's a dispelling of them being the other because We know that one thing that the gospel does and that prayer does is it levels the ground. And so in the shifting of our moment right now, we just pick up Jonah and we say, okay, this is is for us in our moment. Where have we kind of gone? Maybe I think about myself and in my own life. How have I veered from loving my enemies? I want God to kind of, let's be honest, it's very easy to want God to kind of spite and maybe not destroy, but at least not help or or bring success to people that are my enemies, and yet this letter, this book, calls us to remind and reminds us that God loves our enemies. He loves the people we hate, and when we're drawn into a community like this that reflects him, we want to be just as Jesus gave these antithesis towards some of the Old Testament laws and fulfilled them. We want to be, in a sense, the antithesis of Jonah. As a community, we want to do the right things for the right reasons. We want to bring the grace and love of Jesus to the people around us because we actually love them. That God is doing the inner deep work within us to say it's not just about like a show or doing something on the outside we move in a posture towards other people because God breaks our heart for them, because we love them, because we see sometimes even ourselves in others because this is what the gospel does. It levels the playing ground. No more elites. no more climbing the ladder, no more, you know, hey, I'm, I'm a prophet of Israel. It's a reminder to us that we're all human, God's love and grace is for all of us. And just a, a summer reminder for us that, again, we could do all the right things, have all the ducks in a row. But what's God doing in our hearts? For some of us right now, just, and we're going to talk about this just to close, for some of us, it's probably like actual visual people in our minds. I know for myself, this is easy, right? Like it's just people that I kind of push as the other. Somebody on the outside, my enemies, if you were, I'm sure for you, you think of your own life. I think of the church in the context that we're in, and, and you know, the, the political and social moment we're in, where there's lots of opinions about the church and, and how the church functions, and rightly, rightfully so, the church is fault, absolutely. But I also think of how could we be the people of God in a way that would show the world God's love and light? There's a lot here. A lot more than just me talking at you. So what we want to do is just take a couple minutes. And as we've done the last few weeks, as we wind this down, um, what do you think? What do you think? Where are you at? Maybe even for some of you, you're vulnerable enough just to, to think and to share of like your own journey in this as we become a community that loves God, with heart, soul, mind, and strength, we love, obviously, our neighbors as ourselves, but we, we love the other. We love the people who may persecute us or come against us. We love our enemies. Let's take a minute. Is that all right? You gotta talk, though, or else it'll be really awkward, okay? So take a minute. What do you think? What's God stirring in you? Maybe a couple people could just share. You know, there's nothing, like, super calculated here. We're not trying to manufacture anything. Just as you read this, and for some of us, because I've been talking to you throughout these weeks, This whole journey through Jonah has been different than what you thought, so maybe as we land the plane, what's going on? Sound good? Take a minute.